Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. They say everyone in the world is connected by six degrees of separation. But what if it's closer to 1.5? What if 1.5 degrees is all that stands between us, our global neighbours and a climate emergency? Back in 2015, world leaders agreed to try and keep any increase in global temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius. But we're way off track. Without urgent action, we'll reach a point of no return. Even now, the increase in temperature is having a devastating impact. Meet Jessie. She is one of the main providers for her family in Malawi. They rely heavily on the food she farms to eat, but climate change has turned growing crops from difficult to almost impossible. It's not just the heat. A change in climate brings severe weather and flooding, destroying Jessie's crops and her home. Millions of people living in poverty will struggle to survive, so together, with our world leaders, we have to do everything we can to stay under 1.5 degrees. Why is 1.5 so crucial? At 1.5, sea levels could rise by 48 centimetres. At 2, they rise to 56 centimetres. That might not sound like a lot, but it's enough to wipe away whole communities. At 1.5, the average drought in Malawi can last four months. At two, it can last half a year. That might not sound like a lot, but it's enough to destroy a farmer's crops. In the UK, half a degree might not seem much, but on the other side of the world, it's the difference between life and death. At two degrees, we'll have reached a climate catastrophe. We'll be burning down the house. Richer countries are the main cause of climate change, but it's people living in poverty who are hit the hardest. Even 1.5 isn't perfect, but at least it leaves room for hope. Hope for us, our global neighbours and all of God's creation. But we must act now. We must take our God-given responsibility to help keep creation in balance. We cannot claim to love our planet or our global brothers and sisters if we just sit by while they suffer the consequences of our actions. Together, we must imagine a different way of life, where we don't rely on fossil fuels, where we think about what we buy and what we throw away, where we stand alongside people living in poverty. Join us as we raise our voices and let world leaders know, we must change before our world does. We must limit any increase to global temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The time for action is now. What uh, an important day it is. It's rather unexpected for me, as you've already heard. We planned for Lucy to be speaking today. Uh, It's already been an important day for Aaron. He was expecting that today. (laughs) I don't know if he was expecting it to be that cold, but uh, there it is. But also today, it's an important day as we hear world leaders are gathering for the 26th time for the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26 in Glasgow, hoping to agree how we tackle climate change, limiting its devastating effects, as they promised to do last time at COP25 in Paris. I wonder what we expect of that. We have a personal link to COP26. Tim, who leads our amazing tech team, uh, is actually working there, helping set up Uh, for that event. What a great guy he is. Great team that he's got here. 
We also have a personal responsibility towards tackling climate change. We believe the church has a huge role to play in speaking out for justice, influencing those in power, and creating change. And so to help us think about that, we're going to take a look at the Bible. And I have asked Mercy to come and read Psalm 104 for us. There's a mic for you there, Mercy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my Lord, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beam of his chambers on the waters. He makes clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are the wild goats, and the rocks are a refuge for rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. And when the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. And there go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open their hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord.
Great. Thank you, Mercy. Psalm 104 presents so many incredible images to us. I think of it myself as, as like a whistle-stop tour of creation. It draws us up and out of ourselves, refocus us, refocusing us instead on God's greatness and his grandeur, his splendor and his majesty. There's water and clouds and wind and fire and oceans and mountains and thunder and valleys and springs and hills and beasts and birds and branches and fruit and livestock and food and wine and oil and bread and trees and wild goats and rock badgers, lion, sun, moon, days, seasons, even humanity. What an awesome creator God. I think as I read this, the psalmist sees a planet teeming with life. Incredible. All of it God's handiwork and a, a mark and a measure of his wisdom. I certainly haven't seen everything that the psalmist saw, although several years ago, Carol and I had the privilege of taking a trip walking in the remote and very beautiful Julian Alps in Slovenia. You could hike there all day without seeing a single person, just out in the wild. We didn't see rock badgers, but we did see marmots. And I'm told that although there are different species, they look a tiny bit like rock badgers. One time, as we're scrambling up this hillside in the stillness, it was suddenly broken by there was something charging through the trees and made us jump out of our skin. <laughs> I was convinced we were being attacked by a bear. I think the truth was we might have startled a wild goat. Okay, that's about as close to Psalm 104 as I've got. But once I calmed down, I thought, what an amazing place to be. I, I love mountains, I don't know about you. I, somehow their scale just helps me regain perspective on myself and on the world, on my life and on God. And I, Maybe other people here find that too. I've noticed some other people like the sea being by the coast in the same sort of way, just looking out at the horizon, that blue line where it meets the sky. Uh, any sea people here today perhaps? Yes, a few. Good for you. Wherever I'm closer to creation, I feel closer to my creator. I find all sorts of things in creation lead me back to awe in him. Even some of the less likely kind of things. A little while ago now, uh, we were at home. There was a massive bang in our house. And sometime after we'd realized that nothing had collapsed uh, or exploded, we discovered this. I don't know. Carol took a photo of it. I don't know if we can get it to come up on the screen. Um, basically, I don't know if you can recognize that, but a pigeon had flown into our bedroom window. Ah! <laughs> there it was. Uh, if you look carefully, and I'd, I've done a, tried to do a zoom in one on this, you can make out its startled expression. <laughs> oh, wow. 
I suppose you could say, you could say, look, it's only a pigeon, and now I've got to clean the windows. But I look at it, and there's such detail. I mean, you, I couldn't capture it on the photo. I've got the wings and everything. You know, there's such detail of every primped and preened feather, all waterproofed and, and flight-ready, even if they weren't sort of window-ready. We just, we looked in wonder at this amazed, actually just like the psalmist, at this tiny aspect of all that God had created. It seemed even then to declare something of God's glory. And just to reassure you, the pigeon was fine. Okay, I, I checked outside. It clearly sorted itself out and headed off somewhere for a regrease. So there was no trouble at all. But, but more important than how much of it you or I have seen, the more important thing is, who are we thinking about as we look at creation and as we interact with the world around us? Some look at it thinking that without God, it only says survival of the fittest. But I'm with the psalmist. I'm looking at it all and thinking about God until with him I want to say, may you, God, may the glory of you endure forever in your creation. May you, the Lord, rejoice in its works. You see, the thing is, Psalm 104 isn't quite the random assortment or catalogue uh, of nature notes it might seem. It actually echoes quite a lot from that bit right back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis that is describing creation. And at that point, you see, brand new made, create the world was, if you like, mint in the box. It was pristine and perfect. God looks at it and saw that it was good. In fact, he stepped back and took a good look at everything. And he saw that it was very good. We understand as we read the Bible. But the trouble is, even by Psalm 104, stuff's happened in the world. People have been living without God. The Bible's term for a life without God is, is sin. And so we get to a place by Psalm 104 where all that's left is to hope that God's glory in creation will endure the adverse impact of without God lives. Instead of glorifying God, those without God lives are stuffed with things like greed and laziness. We may struggle to recognize those kind of things, uncomfortable with them, old-fashioned terms we may consider, but we may not recognize them as easily as we should, but maybe we can admit our preference for life on the cheap, or better still, downloaded for free whatever it might have actually cost someone else or somewhere else. Even way back in Psalm 104, the psalm was hoping that God could still look at creation and say, very good. And as I read it again today, I wonder what God looks, thinks, 
what he says as he looks at the world that continues to be ravaged by without God living. Probably feels a bit awkward to us near the end of the psalm in verse 35 where it says how it really is that for God's creation, if it's going to be all it was, if it's going to be all that it should be, there is no place on earth for without God living. A sober conclusion. There's things to notice. There's things we need to think on as we read that about our lives in the world today. I think we need to notice the order too. Before telling God what he might choose to do about other people's ideas or their behavior, the psalmist has actually said in verse 34, I hope my life and thinking is okay for you, God. Because caring for creation begins with each of us in that same way. Maybe if we thought more about pleasing God with our own thoughts, if we talked to him more about other people's thoughts that troubled us, we'd get on better with living together and looking after his creation too. When we look at the world today, we can see the many ways we have damaged God's creation. The ways we live and work and consume have pushed creation to breaking point. Whether it's plastic pollution, littering the seas, the poorest communities, or species going extinct at record rates. Or the climate crisis making droughts and floods and storms more frequent and more severe. We've misused and damaged creation. And we're feeling some of the effects in the UK, but the impacts are hitting people in poverty much, much harder. The hardest of all. That may be hard to grasp when it's not quite so up close and in our faces, when it's someone else somewhere else. It might seem, you know, a bit big and abstract. And so for that reason, I want to introduce you to Orbisa. We're going to watch a short video and hear something of Orbisa's story now. Your neighbour is thirsty, but there is a solution and there is hope. For many people in the north of Ethiopia, the impact of climate change is devastating. They used to expect rain up to four months a year, but now it only falls in August. People don't have enough water to survive. It is an issue of life or death. And for families like Orbisa's, everyday life is a real struggle. My name is Orbisa and I have nine children. Life is very challenging here. We have no food and are dependent on our livestock for our livelihood. Whenever there is no rainfall, our animals die as there is no grass or water. This affects our lives significantly. We will not get money or have milk to drink. We have no other option. When it rains, I only need to walk five minutes to collect water, but these water sources are now dry. Every night, I walk for 10 hours to collect water from a lake. The walk is dangerous. I can face wild animals, such as hyenas and leopards. The water I collect is not sufficient. I am only able to collect less than half of what my family needs each day. We need most of it for drinking, but sometimes it is not enough, and my family has to go to bed thirsty. 
I feel extremely sad whenever I cannot provide water for my children. It hasn't rained for six months, and I don't know when it will rain next. It is God who knows when the rainfall will come. I worry about my children and my family. I worry about the small livestock which are remaining. I feel worried whenever I think about the future. If we could get water access in our village, this would change things for me. This is the first and most important thing that would give me hope. Orbisa's story is sadly all too common. Forced to find any kind of water, more people are getting sick and their livestock, their only source of income, are dying due to lack of water. Because of climate change, the area has become even more dry and arid, like a desert. People are suffering and many are giving up hope. But there is good news. Tear Fund is changing lives by working with local partners to set up solar-powered wells that will provide clean water closer to communities. This will help to restore hope and give new life for all who live there. In the last 10 years, droughts are increasing from year to year. Availability of water is very, very difficult. Tear Fund has started now working with FSA, saving lives by creating access to portable water drilling boreholes and developing water supply systems. The greatest joy and happiness we could see in communities is when they get water. Lives are being changed and they are seeing the love of Jesus. When we provide water for these communities, we are changing the lives of the coming generations too. The young people, the children, their lives will change definitely when we provide water for them. Please donate now. Around the world, millions of people like Orbisa are being pushed back into poverty because of climate change. In 2016, world hunger started to increase for the first time in a decade and it has continued increasing every year since then. And that's because of climate change, and conflict and disease. The thing is, climate change is the exacerbating factor that's increasing the risk of conflict. Right now, there is a window of opportunity for us. Our government, is rebuilding after the pandemic. Our government is hosting COP26. And these things will shape our economy, yes, but we hope will also influence other nations uh, through these talks. This is a crucial moment in our country for our leaders to take climate change seriously. Jesus tells us in the Bible the most important way for us to live is to love God and love our neighbours. We often put it like this ourselves, love God, love people. Tackling the climate crisis is vital to both of those. Honouring God by protecting his creation and loving our global neighbours who are hit first and worst by all that is now a climate emergency. In this emergency, it's good remembering that Jesus didn't just tell us how to live, leaving us to have a good go, and then I'll be back and score you at it all later on. 
Actually, in the Bible, there's an important message of encouragement for us in the New Testament, in a letter to Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the challenge is that creation is broken, but the good news is that God is at work reconciling and restoring. Jesus didn't just come to reconcile me with my Father in heaven. He could have taken me straight to heaven if that would have been the best way to ensure that. I'm here now living out some of his reconciliation as he uh, plans and purposes to reconcile and restore all things in heaven and on earth, Colossians tells us. Creation restored how God intended it to be. Once again, very good. As only God could say it of his creation. Jesus values creation. Repeatedly as he taught, he showed us how it reveals the love of the Father and brings restoration and healing until it's uniting everything back with God. That's his purpose. And we can have hope because Jesus' death on the cross, uh, through his cross, all things can be made new. That's what he came to preach. Everything sin has broken and corrupted is being restored and reconciled to God. And best of all, we can be a part of that. That's Jesus' invitation to us to participate in his restoring and reconciling his mission in creation. We can join Jesus in reconciling people to their Father and reconciling them to his creation as we look after it and restore it. These are essential, fundamental ways that we follow Jesus. Now, the other day when I discovered I'd be doing this talk, I told my son I was stepping in to speak on climate change and I asked him what he would say to people about looking after the planet. And he said to me, well, obviously I want a nice planet, but I'm not Greta and I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think we can all feel a bit of that. We can all have a sense in this moment of a, well, I'm not Greta kind of feeling. I mean, we may struggle to know what to do or what to say. And I think all the more reason as we think about the scale of this climate crisis, we need to keep our eyes fixed on, focused on God. He is the God of justice and of restoration, who cares for the poor and is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that means the best place for us to begin is with prayer. And I want us to do that together this morning in just a moment. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to invite Carol to come and lead us in prayer. It's also important to recognize we will need to act too in some ways. Some ways we know 
but maybe we're not quite doing it yet, and other ways which we might not know yet. That's all quite tricky, and I recognise, and, and can feel uncomfortable. After all, let's face it, who needs more change and uncertainty than we've already had recently? Not me! Yet Jesus acted to reconcile and restore us. And in the same way, following him will include doing stuff too. Acting in his name and in his purpose. I want to remind us too that Jesus acted for the hope of others out of care and not worry. I want to act to offer others hope too and to show them that Jesus cares. It would be easy just to worry. Worry can be quite immobilizing. Uh, Caring usually wants to do something. That's an important difference. I want us to be a church that cares about creation rather than one that, say, worries about climate change. One small way that you could choose to act today is to add your voice, as Tear Fund are inviting us to, to the Climate Coalition's declaration. It's a petition which is calling on the UK government to lead the world, starting at this COP26 summit, to delivering a healthier, greener, fairer recovery. And you will see on your screen, if you're in the room on the screen behind me, um, there is some information about that. You can, this is a legal get your phone out at church moment. You can point it at the QR code on the screen. It will take you straight to a website where you can, if you choose to do that, hey, no pressure. We've each got to decide what we choose to do and how we respond. If you are non-techie, we've got some little cards printed out with details you can fill in and send off. They look rather good. Uh, so if, even if you're techie and you want one of those cards, and you might when you see them, please leave them for non-techie peeps, okay? Uh, so Caro will have some of those you can pick up on the way out. But right now, in this moment, we're going to pray. And right now, I want us as we pray to stand alongside Obisa. I want us to stand alongside all of those who are impacted by climate change around the world in our prayers and uh, in our readiness to take action. That shows that we care uh, for God's creation. So let's pray. To our God, who made and can move mountains, who created people and can touch their hearts and minds, who declared that the world was very good and can make it be so again, who has the world in his hands, be praise and glory. We lift before you the COP climate talks and the future of the planet. We are sorry for the damage that has been done but we come before you knowing that you are a God of mercy and miracles. We pray for the world leaders gathering in Glasgow that they would do what is right and fair. 
May the common desire to protect the world enable good conversations, positive actions, and bring about unity. We pray for those joining from countries on the front line of climate change who are experiencing the worst impacts, having contributed the least. We pray that their voices would carry weight and power and that you, God, would protect their place at the negotiating table. Lord, would you help us in the UK to host with humility, compassion and generosity. You are a God for whom nothing is impossible or too late. In the face of this climate crisis, we hold on to the hope found in you. Hear the cries of your people, O God. Amen. That's it. Sam and Ben are going to sing, So Will I. If you want to sing along, please do, or if you'd just like to sit quietly and reflect on what has been said um, in your response to this climate, climate crisis, then please do. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.